Hi, I'm Brett Robinson. Welcome to the Redeeming Hope Podcast, where we share biblical truths that'll give you real hope. What is real hope? It's a hope that is relevant, energizing, authentic, and linked to Jesus. We're going to speak about Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up. But I am going to uh, read it for you verse by verse. I was talking with a uh, dear friend from church um, actually during the week and we were talking about stuff that he's going through in his life and business and I was sharing some of the things that I've gone through and as I was encouraging him because he was saying how he uh, was really battling with so many conflicting thoughts and challenges at different levels coming against him and he was just really battling to sleep. and. As we were speaking, I just said to him, you know, what really, really helped me and blessed me and ministered to me so much um, in my life at different times is Psalm 23. And I encouraged him to go and memorize it. And whenever those adverse thoughts and emotions start coming and your thoughts start running away from you, you've got to go to place. And Psalm 23 has been that for me many, many times over the years. Have any of you tried to problem solve at like two, three, four in the morning <laughs> and you wake up and your mind's going but you're not properly awake but your mind keeps trying to problem solve and it's, I don't know about you guys but for me it's completely fruitless normally and you just wake up feeling like you haven't rested. But I've learned in those times to actually allow my spirit to take charge and to rise up and just begin to either in my mind or even to softly whisper it out and just begin to go through Psalm 23. Of course, you could do that with many other passages in the Bible as well, but we're going to be talking about the Psalm today. So the Psalm talks about the heart and the role of the Good Shepherd. Let's read together from verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's only six verses. You can all memorize this psalm. You take a bit of time and read through it a few times, close your Bible, speak out as far as you can remember, and if you miss something, get back to it, and you'll find very quickly you can commit this to memory. And I would um, highly recommend that to everyone listening today. Let's start with verse 1. We'll go through this uh, verse by verse. And I suspect that we won't get much further than verse 1 or 2 today. (laughs) So the opening line is, Lord is my shepherd. 
The phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, comes from the Hebrew name, and I'm almost certainly going to not pronounce this correctly, but Jehovah Ra. Jehovah is translated as the existing one or Lord. The name Jehovah also suggests to become known, and this denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. And what this says to me is, we don't serve an impersonal God. We don't serve a God who doesn't know us, doesn't care for us, doesn't love us. The psalm shows us that he's likened to a shepherd who takes incredible care of his sheep. He's devoted, <coughs> devoted to the well-being of the sheep. He wants to reveal himself to us. And in the psalm, we get to see him in this role of shepherd. And I really believe that we should invite God each and every day to reveal himself to us. His very name is an invitation for us to do that. Do you know that every day we can learn something new of God's heart for us, his character, his nature. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who are hungry, for they will be filled. Have you ever thought that maybe God only reveals himself to you as much as he sees the intents of your heart toward him? It's a challenge for us to stir ourselves up. And it's very easy for our lives to become full and for us to become satisfied with things that don't truly last or have true meaning. So we have to seek God out. But as we do that, He is faithful to open His Word to us and to reveal Himself to us. An extended translation of the word Jehovah-Rah is um, friend or companion. And this indicates the kind of intimacy that God desires between himself and his people. When the two words Jehovah and Ra are combined, it is actually translated as the Lord, my friend. Isn't that beautiful? And actually we see that this is God's heart throughout Scripture. In James 2 and verse 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. <coughs> Isn't that beautiful? And you know, that wasn't just for Abraham. We are Abraham's seed as believers. It's his heart for you and I as well, that we should be known as the friend of God. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? God will be many things to each of us over a lifetime throughout our journey. But you know, the foundation of a fulfilling and deep and meaningful relationship with God should be friendship. He doesn't want to just be a far off God. He wants to be a God who walks with us, who lives with us, who hears our hearts as we pour our hearts out to Him and who is free to share his own heart with us as well. And Scripture is filled with many names of God that give us greater insights into who he is. 
In fact, in the Psalms, um, David uses many words to describe God's character and nature. And they are a great encouragement to us. And you know, the kind of names that we use for God and for each other, in a way, kind of define that relationship, right? David speaking out, the Lord is my shepherd, it defined the kind of relationship that he had with God and the way he saw God. And as David used many other names for God, faithful, everlasting, powerful, mighty, redeemer, rock of my salvation, it defined his relationship with God and gave structure to his faith and his belief system. You know, you can have really strong muscles, for example, in my arm, I might have really strong muscles, but if I don't have the correct bone structure for those muscles to work against, then they're actually not going to be functional whatsoever. So when we call God names that are honoring to Him, it gives our faith structure and gives us momentum and directs us in our lives. Amen? Many times when people's faith gets shipwrecked, it's because there's a structural problem in their faith. God, you're unfair. God, you this, you that. The finger pointing at God, accusation. And God can take it because he understands our humanity. But for us to come into a close, personal, intimate relationship where our faith can be developed and we can grow in that, we need to see God for who he is according to scripture. I'd like to change tack for a minute though and I talk about something a bit more light-hearted. You know, <coughs> even in our families, we can have pet names for each other. Mm-hmm. You guys got pet names for your, your parents or your children or your brothers or sisters? So I was thinking about some of the funny pet names that we have for each other. And have you ever heard someone say, oh, he or she, maybe referring to a husband or wife, they're my scuts or they're my scuttable. And you know, this name stuck with me. I thought, it's such a weird name. I've heard it used so many times over the years in South Africa. And where does it come from? So I thought I'd look it up. (laughs) I think you're going to get a kick out of this one. So it turns out that Scuttable is actually an infamous Norwegian monster. (laughs) Which Norwegian parents used to threaten their naughty children. Scatterball is said to have breath so bad that it can kill you. (laughs) A scatterball is so ugly and ridiculous that if you see it, you could laugh yourself to death. (laughs) Seems kind of ridiculous now, hey? You'll never (laughs) hear it the the same way when you hear someone say, hey, my scatterball. (laughs) I don't know how it is that people started using that as a a pet name, a a name of affection for each other. Janine and I have had some uh, funny pet names as well for each other over the years, and um, I certainly won't share all of them with you, because I came from a family where we didn't really use many pet names. My name was Brett. It wasn't shortened to anything. It was Brett. I was happy with Brett. (laughs) Janine came from a family where it was the complete opposite. They 
used lots of pet names. I think Janine, I once counted, she had about nine nicknames from family and friends. <laughs> so it didn't take Janine long to break down my defenses. <laughs> but one of the fun ones that she says to me, she says, you're my finest of 10. <laughs> Darn, thanks. Eh? <laughs> Feel really good right now. And then she goes, but then she smiles and she goes, thousand. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds better. <laughs> and on a good day, she might go, you're my finest of 10 million. <laughs> but the names that we use for each other and for God um, define that relationship. And you know, we can actually uplift our faith and we can um, increase our standing with God by the names that we use for Him. You know, God's got names for you as well. He calls you accepted. Many times we don't even accept ourselves. But you know that even when you don't feel accepted, your sin is already forgiven. He calls you beloved. He calls you loved. In fact, he says, my banner over you is love. That's how much God loves you. And I'd like to encourage you today. You know, we can use names for each other that uplift, encourage, inspire, and show admiration for each other. We can use statements that affirm each other's identity and value. And in our household, we like to use words that go way beyond just what's acceptable, you know? So often I'll look at my kids and I'll go, you are amazing. You're not just okay, you are freaking amazing. Why not? What are we saving those amazing words for, if not for our family, if not for our children? And even in our worship for God, let's use wonderful, big, descriptive words when we praise Him. Lord, you are incredible. There's the Lord, there's none like you. There's none in all the earth and all the universe. The Psalms are filled with David's um, best efforts to describe the greatness of God. Let's go on to the second part of verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me ask you a question. Did David say this because he had no need? <laughs> and everything in his life was just perfect. <laughs> I don't think so. I believe he said this because of his confidence in his God. And I believe it was a declaration of faith. And I believe for us it should be a declaration of faith as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Many times where I know as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, I'm responsible for a lot of people. Sometimes the weight of that responsibility weighs upon me, especially because I don't know how it's all going to work out. <laughs> Sure, I make my plans and I strategize and I trust God. But at different times, I'm like, Lord. <laughs> and then by faith, I just begin to declare, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. Other scriptures say, 
other versions say, I lack nothing. It's a faith declaration. We can say it over our health. We can say it over our finances, over all the work of our hands. We can say it over our relationships. I shall not want. If we look at the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12 to 13, we can see Paul's expression of the same theme. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7 it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So I believe in this first verse of Psalm 1, we're getting some insight into living and walking in godly contentment. Do you know that great gain that it speaks about just his godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain is not only being content when everything in our lives is perfect. Because if that was the case, then most of us would never be content. The great gain, I believe, is finding our contentment in God regardless of our circumstances. Not going, jeez, that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, we can be content because we believe in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We can be content because we believe that He knows us and He loves us with an everlasting love. We can be content because we know that He is our Redeemer and our salvation. We can, be, we can be content because we know that He's gone to heaven to make a home for us. That He'll never ever leave us or forsake us. And even in difficult times and trying circumstances, we can know these things. And in the middle of challenges and trials and difficulties, we can learn to find contentment in God. And when we make faith declarations over our marriage, home, health, finances, based upon who God is, then a divine contentment takes a hold of our hearts. It's a beautiful old song, it was written many years ago, I don't know who wrote it. It's been something like, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. No, 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 this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. This peace that I have. The world didn't give it to me, no, 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 this peace that I have. The world didn't give it to me, this peace that I have. The world didn't give it to me, 
the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. You see, God has got a place of contentment and joy and peace for us, regardless of what we're walking through. And if you really read this whole psalm in context, you'll see that it's about a journey. There's a place of acknowledging God. There's a, the place of being in the green pasture beside the store waters. There's the place of going through the valley. And God takes us through the valley to the other side. And on the other side of the valley, there's a place of tremendous blessing that God has prepared for you. So we're all on a journey. But I want to say to you today, there's a great place of peace and security that comes from learning godly contentment. I want to say to you today that godly contentment starts with our spirit man and works its way out. Worldly contentment starts with what we see and then people try to work its way in, but they can't succeed. They can't succeed without the Prince of Peace, without Jesus. The trap of the world is to never be content. Always be on the lookout for someone or something better. As believers though, we need to settle in our heart that God's plan for you and me is to live out of a place of deep abiding peace in our hearts that produces a supernatural godly contentment. So as we end today, I remind you of the words of Paul in Philippians, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And godliness with contentment is great gain. <coughs> Friends, we have something that the Lord has deposited into our hearts that the world can never take away. I remember one time years ago feeling extremely stressed out about a financial situation. And as I lay there in the middle of the night worrying, trying desperately to solve the situation, a conviction came over me that maybe I shouldn't worry. My flesh rose up and said, well, if I don't worry, who is going to worry? It's up to me to make this thing happen, to get myself out of this. And my spirit man rose up within me and said, it's your responsibility as the husband, as the father, not to worry. It's your responsibility to get into faith and to trust God. We can't pull ourselves up by our own britches, as the saying goes. But God can reach down with his mighty hand and lift us up and put our feet on a rock. He can make our footsteps firm. As we step out and we decide, we make a quality decision to live out of a place of godly contentment, our flesh is going to be tested. Maybe like me, your flesh is going to say to you, what are you doing trying to be content? Can't you see what's going on around you? Can't you feel what your body is saying to you? That's when your spirit man needs to rise up and say, actually it makes perfect sense for me to be content right now. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. And even as you say it and you declare it, your flesh is going, but you do lack. Look at your bank accounts. Look at how you feel. And that's when your spirit man needs to say, I'm so glad you brought it up. Because I'm not looking at those things to discover whether or not I should be content or whether I lack anything. I'm looking at the Word of God. And the Word of God says, I lack for nothing. And His Word is true. His Word is powerful. He is faithful. And God will bring it to pass. He watches over His Word to perform it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. I pray that the message of God's Word will build your faith and develop a hope that is so strong it's like an anchor for your soul. Go ahead and subscribe and why not share the message with a friend?